0: Hello again. You are listening to KXSF LP in San Francisco. This is Pamela Bush, and the show is Fifth Faith Radio Queerly Drinking. And uh, we today ha- are going to, we, as in the royal we, uh, me and all my personalities, uh, I am going to, I'm very excited to have Bianca Sinan, who uh, just uh, recently opened up a place in Miami called Paradise. Uh, books and bread and they also sell natural wine and Bianca has had quite a um, you know has been in the industry for a while and has had some experiences and uh, as somebody who hasn't been to Miami since I was five years old which is just about a half century ago scary to think uh, I'm, I'm extremely curious to hear more about what's happening in Miami in terms of their the natural wine scene and the food scene and and just what she's doing because there's a she has, along with her uh, partners, put together a really uh, fantastic progressive business model. So, Bianca, are you there? Do we hear you? Hello,
1: hello, everyone. Yes, I'm here. How's it going, Pamela?
0: It's it's going well. Uh, you know, all things considered. I mean, <laughs> I guess all things considered, anytime in the pandemic. No, everything here, everything is good. It's uh, San Francisco, I think, might actually be transitioning to fall. We had summer last week. I could probably <laughs> do with one one more week of the heat, but you know, that's not up to me. Anyway.
1: Yeah, uh, over here in Miami, so. It's, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can imagine. I mean, I know that it's a totally different, uh, you know, your climate is, is something something else. And there are definitely those moments when in July, when I'm freezing here, when I think I just want to go somewhere warm. Uh, Anyway, it is such a pleasure to have you here today. Uh, For those of you who are just tuning in in the last uh, few seconds or so, you're listening to KXSF LP in San Francisco. Uh, uh, The show is Fifth Wave Radio, Queerly Drinking, and I am Pamela Bush, the host. And my guest is Bianca Sinan, a Haitian American sommelier uh, and service industry worker based in Miami, Florida. She is the co-owner operator of Paradise Books and Bread, a newly opened cafe bookstore and natural wine bar located in North Miami, that is owner operated and offers an intimate communal space to the people of South Florida. So uh, Bianca, uh, first, uh, just wanna talk a little bit about how you came to do what you're doing. I mean, you're from Miami, uh, but then you lived in New York, you went to college there. I don't know if you spent, did you spend some time there after school?
1: Yeah, I did, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, So, and how long were you in New York?
1: I was in New York for uh, just south of, I think, eight years. So I didn't get my like honorary 10 year New York resident card. But I would say, you know, spending years working in restaurants and going to school there and having a pretty rigorous kind of like school schedule. I'm like hoping maybe I'm some sort of like honorary New York resident. I mean, being there kind of like in your formative years between like 18 and 25 is like kind of shapes who you are, you know, so. I miss it a lot, but I'm I'm definitely happy to be back in the warmth and <laughs> close to the Caribbean. So feel good yeah. about it.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's true. It's, I actually left New York when I was 25. Um, and I guess I'm def- I was definitely formed. I've been here for 30 years and you know, yes, I root for the Bay Area sports teams, but I'm a New Yorker. Uh, <laughs> any, anyway though, uh but I, I was wondering though what it was like for you having spent all those years in New York and then going back to Miami. Uh, and how that, and I know like you were also going like going to work in corporate fashion. Yeah. I mean, that's another thing too, but, <laughs> but I guess, you know so it's like, how how did you get sucked into the world of, of wine and restaurants?
1: Yeah, that's, it's funny. So um, I'm actually, and I think it's important to clarify because I, South Florida people are very sensitive. Um, and when you claim to be from a place that you are not people will call you out immediately. Um, so I grew up in Fort Lauderdale. Um, like in the suburbs of Fort Lauderdale and then actually like moved to Miami for the first time in 2017. But like obviously when you're growing up in like Broward County and in, in Fort Lauderdale, you're gonna go to Miami a lot. So like we would go out, you know, when we're young and 16 and dumb and trying to get into clubs, but like mostly was living in the suburbs and then went to New York for college. Um, and I mean, it. I feel like when, you, when you're young and you move to New York, like young as in like 18 years old and you're moving to New York for the first time, and you kind of have you it feels like you have the whole world kind of at your fingertips like in front of you um especially when you're like going off to college and you're living by yourself I feel like it was an opportunity to kind of like decide you know what do I love and what do I like to do and I've I've always loved eating like that's something that my my mom used to tell me when I was little like you're you're either gonna end up being a lawyer or a chef because I love to argue (laughs) so um that was kind of like you know, always in, in conversation. I, mean, I don't, I don't come from like a hospitality family or background or anything. My parents never worked in restaurants. Like it was never like that. I just always loved going out to eat with my family. And so when I went to school and I went to New York, it was kind of, you know, there were two routes I could go and one of them was fashion. Um, I was very much into it, like but I, I feel like now, obviously, like looking back on it, I was more into the idea of it than I was like actually working in fashion. I thought it was fun. I worked a couple of fashion weeks. I worked a couple of shows and, 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 you know, I had a good time, but I always found myself going out, spending a ton of money at like 21 years old, like Michelin starred restaurants and like, you know, researching different restaurants and chefs and like always following like, you know, all the little awards and all the things that like. Whatever may or may not matter as much to me anymore, but like that was something that I was excited about when I was there. And um, my partner Brian and I, for our college graduation slash like four year anniversary to ourselves, um, went to Momofuku Co. at like 22, and like that's like what we wanted to do with our money, you know. So like that was kind of where my mind was at. And so when I graduated, um, like right before graduation, I was inter I was interviewing for. Um, corporate fashion jobs, like in marketing and, you know, international sales. And I just kind of stopped going to my interviews. Cause I was just like, I don't love this. This isn't for me. And I don't really know what exactly I wanted to be doing, but I know it's not this. Uh, and then we left and traveled uh, in Europe, you know, the, co- the post-college thing, uh, we went to Europe for like six weeks and we ate our way through the place. And looking back on it now, like one of the, kind of like inspirations behind our shop right now was Septime, Cab Team Septim in Paris. And I didn't even realize that I went for the first time during that trip, like post-college. We we were looking at the best restaurants and like where the coolest places were. And we spent all our time in the 11th when we were in Paris. Uh, and we went to Septim, and I have like pictures of like baby me at like 22 years old, like at this very cool wine bar, not knowing, you know, what I know now. And mm-hmm. so I think, you know, after college, is when I was just like making a more of a concerted effort to start working in restaurants. And I didn't know what that would look like. I was open to literally anything. I was like, I just want to get in the industry in some way. And I didn't even start in restaurants. I started at a coffee company. I started Brooklyn Roasting Company um, as a way to kind of like get in my foot in the door in F&B. And it's funny, I'm jumping a little bit, but my experience in coffee and in tasting and like understanding like the tasting wheel and doing cuppings kind of like shaped my palate in some way to be able to understand wine and at least like understand tasting wine. I remember when I first started doing like kind of wine courses um, and we were talking about tasting notes, I was at least able to grasp that concept of like pulling out tasting notes from something that's obviously not a fruit, you know, just like even that baseline of understanding what getting blueberry notes out of a uh, Ethiopian coffee i think led me to finding some sort of curiosity about wine tasting so it's a little bit i guess of the foundational time
0: yeah no that's absolutely true i think it's it's interesting because there's a, are a lot of um parallels between tasting coffee and tasting wine and and you know beer and, and other beverages too and i i i'm not a i don't drink coffee um I'm not. I've just never been a big coffee drinker, but I remember when I opened up my first wine bar in 1994 and sitting down with different. you were trying to decide what coffee to do, and just sitting down and tasting it. And that it's real. It is really similar. I think that it's it's definitely a good way to uh, to train your palate. Is to think about not just wine, but think about really any beverage that, that tastes too. Uh, You've also mentioned cooking. I, that's just an, another way, also, just like tasting food is, and smelling, just being aware of the scents that are around you is such a, I think it's such a great way to learn how to pick up on flavors and, analy- and analyze uh, wine when you're tasting it.
1: Yeah, and it's also like, I guess for me, I mean, and this is kind of jumbled up in a, nif- a different topic, but just like being able to describe to people uh, what a wine tastes like in words that make sense to them mm-hmm. um, involves tasting things besides wine, right? Sure. Like tasting Caribbean food and being able to get certain like spices that we use in certain dishes or uh, tasting beer and understanding like the differences between like a sour beer, a pale ale and an IPA and being like, we're talking about weight or talking about like texture, you know, there's so many different ways to kind of talk about wine. And I think when there's different perspectives and some people are coffee drinkers, we actually do get a good amount of folks who work in the coffee industry. in our shop and a couple of them in our wine club. And it's interesting being able to talk to them about how they pick up notes and what they find interesting. And what are the, you know, what they understand as like acidic wine versus not acidic wine. Same way that like, there's high, there's like acidic coffee and not so acidic or like, you know, that sort of thing. I think it's really interesting to be able to kind of pull from different perspectives to make, to have people understand what their experience is gonna be like when they buy a bottle or buy a glass kind of beforehand so that's that i think that that is something that i've always found really fun and interesting and and i love that kind of like little aha moment when i'm I'm describing a wine to someone and they're like oh my god i know exactly what that means okay great i know what you're talking about like that always yeah. feels really awesome
0: yeah sure it's i it's sort of like uh the you know, when we talk about wines let's say they have a lot of oak and i mean Granted, I think sort of working in the natural wine world, you don't really get too many wines like that. But just, but of course, when you're speaking to you know, people, you know, uh, that is something that, uh, term that people understand about wines that are heavily oaked. And with coffee, there is like a heavy roast and it's different, but it's also when you're, you're doing something with the, whether it's coffee or wine uh, that is going to, that is gonna really have a, a big uh, influence on in the flavor. Uh, and also take away and and doing it in such a way where it's going to mask some of the terroir too Mm. Uh, and again like it's this isn't I'm not saying it's it's good it's bad but what I've I've noticed is that uh, light roast coffee has definitely made a is definitely gotten popular again you know if I think for you know there was a time when everyone wants like you know the heavy roast you know roasted coffee and now we're seeing people who are like yeah I just want you know something light roast I really want to be able to taste uh, you know, the, the inherent flavors of this particular coffee that I'm getting.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, just to, uh, I, I did want to ask you, so you went back to Miami and when, when, when did that happen? Uh,
1: 2017 was a very long year. <laughs> so, so left New York. So was
0: 2020.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. right. 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 Nice little like break in between. Um, yeah. yeah. 2017, Left New York in late April. um, And the plan, it's funny, like looking back on it, the plan, maybe I just like never accepted it, but I thought we were just leaving like a little bit and then we were gonna come back and then maybe move. I don't know. I like, I think I really convinced myself that we weren't leaving just yet. Um, We'd plan, Brian and I, we'd planned to go to Europe for like the whole summer for three months. We'd been saving up for a while. We're like, we're just gonna lay low we're going to stay there we're going to hang out maybe do some visits maybe go to restaurants really just kind of like chill for a while my mom grew up uh going to boarding school in the southwest of France when she was real young and she's still best friends with her friends that she went to school with um so whenever we go to over to France we stay um at her best friend's house and so she agreed to kind of like house us for the summer which was really great because we were able to kind of just like hop on a train and travel and it's all we wanted to do, and I think that almost like was a huge push in my like wine career, for lack of a better term. We visited a bunch of different places and just had so just had so much time, and I think that's what's really important. What was important for me was to have that kind of time. But so April 2017, we left um, for Europe, and we put all of our stuff in storage. Got back from Europe uh, in late July, almost early August and went to North Carolina actually for about like almost six months. Um, Brian and his family in Asheville. And I don't know, we weren't quite ready to settle anywhere just yet. I feel like we were just really transient at the time. And that is to say that, you know, the plan was always to open this space. Um, It's been in the works genuinely since Brian and I were about 19. um, When we were like in love with restaurants and cooking all the time and watching you know, travel channel, cooking channel, you know, having these like kind of big ideas of traveling and eating. And so, you know, fast forward to 2017, we're back in Asheville and we're still like unsure of where the space would even be. Like the plan was maybe South Florida, but we were like, oh, maybe it could be Asheville. Like maybe it could be, you know, somewhere, maybe Hudson, maybe upstate New York. I don't know. And then a little bit more time in Asheville at the time, um, just realizing that it wasn't the place for us and that's to say that Asheville has completely changed since then but at the time you know as much as I love it very white progressive but not a lot of Black folks and folks of color kind of like in the scene Um, natural wine was was very much few and far between to find at the time still there but like this is before crocodile wine opened a couple of years ago so it was a little bit more difficult to kind of navigate but it was on the table you know we we really loved it we loved the quiet kind of uh mountain life um so we considered it but then at some point we were like we we need to we need to go we need to make it all the way to south florida and like we need to do this thing there um so in december like a week before new years um we got in our U-Haul and drove 16 hours with all of our stuff and landed at my parents' house with all of our stuff and just lived in my old childhood bedroom um, for a few weeks until we found a place in Miami and that's kind of where we settled in and started kind of making ourselves comfortable in the Miami community. Um, so yeah, we were thinking, you know, when we'd gotten down to Miami, we were we weren't exactly sure what the timeline was as far as like when we were going to open. I think that was always kind of like up in the air. I think, you know, we thought really hard about when we wanted to open, but we also wanted to find the right place. I think that was like a big, a big part of it was like this space needs to make sense for what we want. And that idea changed constantly. That idea went from, you know, maybe it'll be in a plaza in South Florida, like we don't have as much luxury as far as like where it's gonna be, to, you know, maybe it's gonna be in a standalone building. We didn't know what neighborhood, like we just really didn't know kind of like where or what we wanted to do or what it should look like. Um, And we didn't end up finding the space until uh, 2019. So at least like, a year, almost two years um, after we had moved.
0: So what were you, what were you doing during that, that time? Uh, So you you were kind of looking around.
1: Yeah, so Brian and I moved to um, what's called like Edgewater, super close to Wynwood, which is like a a little bit more of a touristy area, Um, but a lot of young people were living around the Edgewater neighborhood. So I worked at a wine bar when we, well, first I worked at a kind of pizza place natural wine spot uh, that had just closed maybe like three um, three months after it opened. Uh, and then I started working at a wine bar um, in uh, just around the corner in our neighborhood. Um, and then Brian was working at a coffee shop. Audrey had moved down in I think May of 2018, and she started working with Brian. Uh, And then Ben was working at Zuma, which is kind of like a high-end sushi restaurant downtown. Um, So we started kind of like, I don't know, like kind of laying roots. We were getting to know who was in the wine world, who was doing natural wine stuff, um, who were people our age, what do people our age even do down here, as opposed to, you know, I feel like a lot of people were not necessarily warning me, but at least letting me know that the, going out culture in Miami is very different than the going out culture say in California or LA or New York you know a lot of people our age are used to spending a lot of money on very casual meals I think that's like a part of at least and I and that's like a huge generalization um but as far as like myself and my group of friends it was very common for people our age to go out and spend money on casual meals. I think that's like a, a soft generalization.
0: Yeah, but that but that's something that I think for people. I mean, I did that when I was younger too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's it's kind of but I think it's, not it's a thing. Yeah, I guess
1: about Florida. Like I guess that was the big thing yeah. is that like a lot of people live at home or live with their parents or aren't used to kind of like spending that kind of money on food. And I think it's just a different relationship with food in South Florida that has changed. And again, it's like, it's even hard to make sweeping generalizations. I used to do it a lot when I first moved down because I thought Miami was this very specific place. And even now having been here for a while, I I catch myself making sweeping generalizations because of how complicated Miami actually is or South Florida really. But like Miami being that kind of like big city here, it's it's kind of hard to nail down.
0: Yeah, I, mean, I was wondering, especially having spent so much time in New York uh, and then going back to Miami and and then also like, like having been, been in France, uh, what just what that was, you know, going back to it with a, a, the lens of having lived in a really big city for such a long time. and uh, as you said, Miami is changing anyway. Mm-hmm.
1: And it's, I think it's changing constantly. I think that's what's interesting about it is like, you know, there are certain things that people really love to say they'll say oh you know there's nothing in miami there's nothing to do here there's no good food there's no good anything and i you know it's it's just different good food or different ex- experiences like you know the the small farm-to-table restaurants were not and still are not that big of a thing here and it's complicated and it's confusing because i'm still trying to grapple with the fact that You know, there's a ton of farms in like South Miami and homestead and the Redlands, um, but there aren't a lot of farmers markets. So it's just that whole relationship to food and where it comes from is just different here than in other cities. Um, But the small independent family owned immigrant restaurants are better here, in my opinion, than anywhere else I've ever been. Um, And like spanning across all ethnicities and roots, you know? You have your small Korean restaurants, Sichuan restaurants, Haitian restaurants, Dominican, like they're all incredible and outstanding and kind of different from, obviously, yes, everyone's like, you know, all the small places in New York are great, but I don't know, something about those types of restaurants in Miami feel so real. They feel like like a piece of home. for the the people who are making the food. It feels, I don't know, it feels really connected in a really interesting way. Um, So that's kind of that, but you know, Miami is, it's really hard to nail down sometimes because there are people who've been trying and experimenting and I think people, I think that's actually the point. People can experiment a lot more here. I think people can try and do something and maybe it doesn't work and they pivot and they do something else and Maybe that works for a while, but then they pivot again. And like, I think that's the rhythm that we've been on, for 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 better or for worse.
0: What um, do you think that that is? Is it because of, like the cost of living is not as great, or it's there? It's easier to open a business than in another. Also, other
1: places? living in a lack of foundation. I think. I mean, uh-huh. we my, myself and other folks in the industry, we've talked a lot and kind of tried to figure out what it. What is the thing? You know, there's so many different little things. Like, what is the thing that like makes Miami so different and so unlike other cities, specifically talking about our industry. There's so many other things that we can get into, but like, you know, a lot of people say that Miami is like a young city, which yes and no, but like definitely as far as like when it was incorporated. Um, but I think it's just the lack of foundation and the lack of like infrastructure a lot of times. Um, and that's everything from kind of like the tax structure in, in South Florida to the fact there's like little public transportation, the fact that you have to drive everywhere, the cost of living and why people choose to live at home with their parents instead of renting. Um, the fact that it's such a big city, it's very spread out. Like you could be in Aventura, which is technically like a part of Miami and be an hour and a half away from, you know, South Homestead or something, which is also Miami. So and and having no public transportation to have, meet those two points together it's like it might as well be different states at that point so yeah
0: that sounds a lot like la
1: yeah very much it's very similar to la um in in that sense
0: mm-hmm. yeah well so let let's start let's talk about paradise uh books and bread so i feel like we, we're getting your story and we're just about at the point where yeah this is coming together Yes, <laughs> uh, and and it was I know it's you and Brian, but you also your partners. So how that, with this and there are people that you, as I mentioned, there are people that you knew from sort of the food and wine scene in Miami and right
1: and New workers. York actually. So Audrey yeah. is uh, Brian's sister. Okay, um, he worked at a radical bookstore in uh, New York called Blue Stockings. So it's like Blue Stockings Collective now, um, and she it's like a queer feminist bookstore.
0: Oh yeah, I know.
1: Beyond um, Stanton. Or no, on Alan. I'm sorry. Uh, And um, she met Ben uh, working at River Park, which is one of Tom Colicchio's restaurants closed now. Uh, And she was the farm manager there. And he was, he started off as a prep cook and worked all his way up to event chef. Um, Super talented, keeps his head down, works super hard. Um, And so he's been a part, and he's a part of the team. And we met Joseph um, back in, God, 2014 who's uh, one of our best friends um, and he is very much kind of like a jack of all trades but definitely a master of many also I don't know he's like incredibly talented and really special um, he worked with Brian at a coffee shop um, Joe Coffee uh, and then worked with me at major food group for a hot minute Then went back to Joe but was always this like extremely talented person who just needed a kind of vessel to shine you know like he had a lot of talent but was like working for other people and that was obviously the big part of opening up our own space was not having to work for other people so um we all kind of signed on during the pandemic which is funny because brian and i and audrey we've been thinking about the place for a while and just ended up having this kind of like perfect synthesis with joe and ben who both signed on and were like yeah let's do it i'm down and it turned into this saga of finding the right place that took us two years. Um, then, you know, closing on the building three months before COVID, um, trying to find a grant because there was no way that we were getting, able to do this whole project without it. Um, and fast forward to now, we've been open for almost three months. And it's it's funny when you get to the place where your, your place exists and it's been existing in your mind for such a long time and then the, the construction part of it felt like it was just going to be this forever thing
0: the, the That construction's happened. always like yeah. that yeah. oh my
1: god it was horrible <laughs> it yeah. was like
0: and yeah it's never it just realized it's always going to cost more and take longer than what you think
1: yeah man it, and then we knew look, we were prepared everyone told us all the things we're just in the middle of it and you're just screaming into the ether waiting for it to all be over and so it's it's funny to be here and people ask like oh like does it feel like a long time ago like that that time like it does like it really does feel like this other lifetime that just had to happen for us to get here.
0: Yeah. But uh, so you have with a uh, it's a pretty for the wine and as you say it's it's owner operated and it's uh, which in a way it's, it's a kind of a unique model for the wine and restaurant business which isn't to say that you know other people don't don't do this. I mean, there are lots of places that, you know, we're are just super small or um, but but where you say like that is your philosophy, Um, you Mm -hmm. know, historically, the industry has been in one where there's the owner, and then there are the workers. And especially, you know, usually you get paid a minimum wage, especially if it's a like, you know, restaurant or wine bar, and it's, you know, expected that you're going to get paid minimum wage. And basically, you're just going to get tips. And that's, Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, And so you're making a, a statement here with Paradise Farm Books. Uh, so I was just wondering, like, you know, if you could just tell me and tell everyone who's listening a little bit more about why you decided to set your business up this way. Uh, and, you know, how really like how that works, the nuts and bolts of how that works on like a daily basis.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, we, decided kind of early on, like very early on, that we didn't want employees. I say we as 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 you know, very early on, Audrey Bryan and I kind of envisioned this hybrid place that had food and had books and had wine and was like kind of a restaurant, but not really a restaurant. And really nailing down what that looked like in our minds that when we executed it in real life, it it flowed and it worked. Um but the entire time i mean it's it's tough because you don't want to call your shot too early or you don't want to claim this title without really thinking through what that looks like but as much as close to this ideal of an anti-capitalist non-hierarchical business this is where we're at, we're at you know like as much as like we don't want to even like claim any sort of like official title but straying away from traditional capitalist structures in which there is an owner and there are people who work for you and you're not there and you collect the money afterwards that's not to say that you know that's how businesses exist in this country and that's how things exist but that's not just what we that's just not what we want to do we don't want to be the people that own this place and sit at home and make the money like it's just not something that we're interested in And at the same time, we are service industry workers in so far as like, we've all had these jobs and we've all more or less enjoyed them and enjoyed the good parts. Everybody knows that there's the bad parts. We know all about the bad parts, but there are the good parts that we really do love. And like, that's showing people a good time. That's hosting people. That's teaching people. That's allowing people to rest and enjoy themselves. And, and feel good about whatever it is that they're doing in that moment and feel comfortable and feel welcomed. Um, and so we also want to be a part of that. I don't want to be at home ordering wine and someone else is pouring the wine for me and telling me what they sold. And I don't get to be a part of that experience of what that person got and how that changed them. Cause I know about all the experiences that shaped me and changed me and made me excited. And I would want to be a part of that. And I, you know, none of us can speak to what the space is going to look, what this model is going to look like, but we are sticking to this model of being owner operated. We just, you know, we're allowing the space to kind of shape us and change us, and as it's going, we know what it needs, but baseline, we just don't want to have that kind of like exploitative relationship with the
0: space. Yeah, that's, that's, that's cool. and. Uh... You know, I, it's you know. It also, as you said, you're three months into it. Uh, if you were, let's say, two, because you know, there may, there are four of you who, who were, uh, five, five of them. Five. Okay. So, and that's a pretty good number. So, um, you know, if somebody goes away or is sick or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, you, you you have coverage, but you right. never know. You know, you might get really busy and need to have more people be a part of it. Would you envision then where anyone else who is working there would also have a piece of ownership?
1: that's a great question and it's something that we actually haven't really fully fleshed out yet um, we're trying to even manage like what it would look like for us to be so busy that we would need another person and what that other person would be doing you know we close two days a week um we might you know our hours are always adjustable but we're open essentially all day uh, with the kitchen closed for three hours in the middle of the day um you know, it depends. I mean, we've th- we've talked about doing the volunteer thing or like an exchange system um, or like we've talked about just like different possibilities. We have so many friends who have been so gracious and willing to help and wanting to help and wanting to just be like, hey, if you guys go on vacation, let me sit on register. Just tell me how to work the register and I'll do it for you for a day. You know, that's something that people have brought to the table and it's it's fair. I mean, we haven't really gotten to a point in which we're like oh we need to hire help but for as long as we can we'd prefer not to Mm -hmm. um yeah and it's and it's just like this firm thing of like I would much rather change things structurally like I would rather adjust what we're doing so that we don't have to hire you know like if we're trying if we're doing too much if we're trying to do too much I'd much rather adjust on that end than trying to scale up to what's going on.
0: Mm -hmm. So we we need to take another quick break here uh, and then we'll be back in in just a minute. You are listening to KXSF LP in San Francisco. The show is Fifth Wave Radio slash uh, Queerly Drinking. I am Pamela Bush and my guest is Bianca Sinan. So uh, give us just a brief second and uh, I will be right back with you. Hello again, uh, for all who just tuned in, you're listening to KXSF LP in San Francisco. This is Pamela Bush, the host of Fifth Wave Radio, queerly drinking, and my guest is Bianca Sinan of Paradise Books and Bread in uh, Miami. So, the name of your business is Paradise Books and Bread. How did, did you come up with that name? <laughs>
1: um, it's it it kind of took a while, and then we were kind of just like let's just stick with this. So we went back and forth on a couple of different ideas and we're just like, let's just do this because it's pretty direct. It's pretty straightforward. Um, obviously, yes, we do wine, but we also do sourdough bread. It's kind of like our specialty. Uh, we do everything in house, pretty high hydration, um, stone cold ground um, or milled flour from Carolina grounds. Um, and it's a radical bookstore. Uh, it's a kind of South Florida's first um, left, Leaning or left focused progressive bookstore and that's something that we also really want to highlight um, as far as what the space offers. Um, It's funny because I guess you know I mean a lot of radical bookstores and a lot of these types of places don't really offer alcohol they're typically more sober spaces, and so we try to be very wary and be very careful um, of that as well, and so. We offer non-alcoholic options as well, and we're gonna be growing our beverage program more to incorporate you know, maybe some non-alcoholic um, cocktails and spritzers and different things um, to be able to encourage just kind of accessibility for a lot of people. Um, the name itself uh, comes from actually this um, kind of absurdist uh, filmmaker, Alexander Yodorowsky. Um He directed Holy Mountain, which is kind of a culty, very wild movie
0: <laughs> um, I, I, I know his
1: work yeah uh, yeah I was like some people I've been explaining the name of the place this week a lot of people are like I don't know what you're talking about which is fair um, but Brian and I watched his film Endless Poetry a few years ago uh, while living in North Carolina actually and um, there's a scene uh, it, it's a it's like kind of like a fictional autobiography um, and there's a scene where he's super young and he has this monologue he's in this warehouse space that he just found uh, that he's going to take on as his like little artist warehouse. And he has this monologue uh, where he's like, I, you know, this is my kingdom. I'm going to do whatever I want here. I'm going to have my friends. I'm going to have parties. Um, you know, I'm going to be inspired to kind of do all these things and it's going to be paradise. Um, and he said it, and we were kind of like, that's cool. Yeah. That's like, that's the thing. It's going to be like paradise Like so being like, the thing that you've always wanted you know and and that special place where people feel comfortable and having your friends and doing whatever you want so that's kind of a combination of of the name of it
0: yeah did you see jodorowsky's dune the documentary about him trying to make dune
1: no we watched dune recently also god everything's in north carolina we also watched it in north carolina but no we did not watch.
0: Yeah, if, if when you get a chance, uh, check check out the doc. It's it's really it's fascinating, especially with a a new uh, version of Dune coming out. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. So uh, yeah, but uh, Judaroski definitely is a you know a pretty fascinating cat.
1: Yeah, he uh, sure is.
0: Yeah, uh, so I don't you you do you have this this bookstore, uh, yeah. and then you, you make your own bread, and then there's natural wine. So. Yeah. Uh, first, I see what what is it that you're drinking now? It's since you're three hours ahead, uh, it's you're definitely at a time of the day where it's very acceptable. Yes, um, it
1: is very much happy hour right now. I am yeah. drinking uh, Domaine de la Boëm, uh, Patrick Bujou, the Mole, uh, 100% Gamay from volcanic soils in Auvergne.
0: Yeah, I honestly, I, I was trying to get a bottle so we could drink that together, and it seems like everyone is up here is getting it like today, which means so so so. <laughs> yeah I was trying to as a matter of fact I think uh you know the folks over at gemini are, are gonna gemini are, are gonna hold the bottle for me i hope maybe Aww. i'll go over and try to get it after this but uh um yeah it's i know that's a really highly highly allocated wine so can you just tell every us a little bit about it and also about the auvergne which is a region that you know definitely is especially when the natural wine scene it's a pretty hot region right now but 10 years ago nobody yeah. really talked about it
1: I mean, it's fair. I mean, it's like a, it's kind of southern, central France, like it's in this really interesting space, like close to Languedoc, close to the Rhone, close to the Loire, kind of like in its own little realm. It focuses on Gamay and Pinot, but the most interesting thing about it is that it's like volcanic soils, like basalt, super yeah. ancient soils. Um, and the wine like really kind of drinks like a Norello Mascalese to me, like, a, like an Etna wine. Um, it has that like smoky but like ethereal kind of quality to it like it's not smoky like Canary Island smoky like it's like in your face like it's really subtle and on the back end but like then you still get the Gamay fruit quality that high acid but it's a little bit spicy also so it's mm. it's for me I picked it because I, I said it at the beginning of the of the show but um, Florida I used to be really staunch about saying that Florida never had seasons. It was just like hot all the time. Um, but it's been like really pleasant for the last couple of weeks. It's been like nice and breezy. The humidity's kind of kicked. So this is what our fall looks like where it's eighty two but not one hundred percent humidity. Um, and it feels really nice. And I wanted to kind of have a wine to shift into that fall season and not I've been drinking glue glue light reds for months and rosés I'm still gonna have rosé tomorrow but you know yeah. for this I was just like want to kind of celebrate that going into the the fall season it's it's super lovely I I think this also this wine is kind of like a testament to where we're at in the natural wine world in Miami there's no universe in which I thought Patrick Bouju's wines would ever get down here you know when I first moved here a year a couple of years ago and I have plenty of it and so I wanted to you know be able to enjoy it myself. And that's something that I know that I can do now that we would not have been able to do four years ago.
0: Well, maybe I should get a bottle from you since no <laughs> one no uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think like, I know that Zevra Vine is the importer and I've talked to Zev and I, you know about how just natural wine is is exploding and you know, not just in like the coastal areas and the cities, but yes, it's there but I think that it's, it's you know, slowly sips uh, making its way into the mainstream. And and I wanted to ask you sort of what, how you felt right now about natural wine and also how we can make this, make it, you know, not just natural wine, wine in general, but especially natural wine, because I think it does come with a little bit of, uh, yeah, baggage isn't really the right term, but it's just, you know, it does often come across as being, uh, you know, a little bit of like an, an elite thing, uh, you know the cool kids club that kind of thing how is it that we can make it more accessible and inclusive to people
1: I love that question I um and it's kind of wrapped up in a bunch of things I'm thinking about right now I I know when I started getting into natural wine I absolutely thought it was the cool kids club I was like I don't know what you people are talking about I don't know what this is no one's really telling me what it is I'm trying to like figure it out for myself like I think about the first time I went to the first raw in New York in 2016 and like just feeling whisked away and feeling like I like I'd been working in the industry for like a year and a half and I didn't even think that I was qualified to have you know the industry pricing or like I didn't even consider myself industry somehow like that's how detached I felt from it Um, and how much I didn't even feel like I should be included because I didn't know enough about it and I felt like This very strong feeling of like if I don't know about this thing, I can't claim to be a part of it, you know. And I feel like that was my unfortunate but real kind of relationship to it. And I wanted to know about it, and I just did everything I could to figure it out.
0: Um, Well, I but I think that's 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 been I think that's been true of the wine industry in a Mm. lot of ways too. Like when I first started getting into it 30 years ago, and I would you know I was younger then, and I would go in, and it was very, you know, even more so than now, really male-dominated. And there was this, always kind of, this sense of like, who are you? I remember when I first moved to San Francisco, uh, I was invited to a tasting over at Green's restaurant. And it was a Marceau, like a a Marceau tasting. Mm -hmm. And I was sitting around, I think there might have been one other woman there, and there were probably about, or maybe not, like 10 to 12, you know, middle-aged guys, and they just basically ignored me.
1: Sure. Yeah. Sure.
0: <laughs> so, so I mean, wait, I just, the point is that I think, you know, what you're saying, I think there are certain specifics to natural wine because it is like the cool kids club as yeah. opposed to being, you know, the, the old boys club.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And that, I mean, and that, that's still permeates. That's still a thing. I think there's just so many amazing people in the industry who are very loud about ending it, you mm-hmm. know, and I'm very fortunate to have the, some of those people be some of my really good friends and, and, it feels good to have those people in your corner, man. It's it's really incredible. But as far as like natural wine becoming more mainstream, it's a, a weird combination of, people wanna say it's because of the pandemic. It was definitely before the pandemic. Um, it was definitely celebrities and influencers and people on the internet and Instagram that kind of made natural wine this like cooler than cool thing of like, I, I if I'm cool, I also have to drink this cool thing. Um, I don't, mind i like it i like seeing and this is for I mean, people might not like it but i like seeing natural wine at whole foods i like i live in a place where people buy wine from publix and total wine and grocery stores and walgreens and like that is like a lot of like the young people not in the restaurant industry that is where people buy wine because they're not used to small independent wine shops because those are also fancy
0: wine shops that sell exorbitantly priced wines right so yeah and, and it's hard to find natural wine for a bottle
1: it's it's and trying to convince someone and i mean that's what's wrapped up in kind of like the whole culture of like south florida not having our farmers markets and not knowing where your vegetables come from sure it's it's very similar to wine as well like i don't know why i should buy this wine for twenty nine dollars you know retail when it's just uh you know vendor france or something it's like a table wine so that involves a lot of conversation but natural wine becoming more mainstream makes that easier it's not even a matter of convincing anymore what we're in a neighborhood in miami that's not anything like south beach we're in a very working class almost residential neighborhood with like a small downtown area north miami is not on the beach it's not anywhere near water it's very close to i-95 um And it's around a lot of neighborhoods where people live. And that's partly why we wanted to open our shop where it is, is because people are commuting, they're going home, they're nearby, they're at home, they're working from home, and just want a place to grab a glass or grab a bottle. And it's been incredibly successful, because, partly because people already know what they want when they show up. A lot of people already know what natural wine is and are excited about it. And they'll be like, oh, are all your wines organic? And we're like, oh, no, but the question that you're asking yes like if that's what you're looking for so you know as far as natural wine becoming a big thing I'm it's what I've always wanted I wanted more people to drink this delicious stuff and be able to talk about it and have an interest in it and the quickest way to get people to be even more invested in it for is for them to be exposed to it at all Mm -hmm. you know so like having that even that baseline jumps that conversation. I, I don't think natural wine needs to be this like super secret exclusive club that makes you feel good about yourself. Like it should be something that we share, especially if anyone has ever been lucky enough to go visit some of these winemakers in their own home. They are, you know, five hectares, their bedroom is inside of the cave. You know, they have a 20 year old car, like they're living pretty simply, this isn't everybody, obviously there's some winemakers that are living real nice and and that's a different thing. But some of the winemakers that I was able to visit, I think about Dominique Angélan all the time because that was one of the most incredible visits in the Southwest and the gas region in France. And we visit him and he had, what at one point he had 18 hectares. He went down to 11 hectares because he was just like, I can't really do all of this. It's kind of exhausting and I'm going to scale down. And we taste with him in his t- in his what tasting room, which is his cave inside, inside of like, what looks like a storefront, it literally looks like a plaza, like a plaza inside of, or a storefront inside of a plaza, and his bedroom is upstairs, and the bathroom has like, no door, like, it's like, it's, it's the most basic and simple thing in the entire world, and yet some of his wines, like the Pissendit, is like, one of the most allocated wines, like, in the U.S., but like, I think about, him and how simple he is and what, what, what lifestyle he has and, and having people understand that on the other end and treating it with this kind of like, this is meant for people to share. This is supposed to be delicious and easy and not, you know, $6,000 for the bottle kind of wine culture. I think that's what I'm hoping we get at at some point is treating it with this sort of like this is delicious, but it's meant to be shared. It's not supposed to be gussied up into any, you know, kind of big thing. So,
0: yeah, and and with with so much natural wine now being allocated that it sort of like goes against that grain of being shared on the other hand so many of these producers makes so little wine. And so, yeah, you know, when I was talking to. you know like you know just talking to some folks and they're like yeah we were getting three bottles of it it's not even like a case we're gonna oh three no, no 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 and, and very what often happens if you get three bottles is that the person who owns the place yeah, they're, people, drinking it. they're drinking it they're not sharing it yeah No,
1: i got yeah. a two bottle allocation of something a couple like a month or so ago and i was like i'm not i'm going to drink this i'm going to put one of these away yeah and then I'm gonna put this in the fridge, and then I'm gonna drink the other one at the end of the night because right. I'm not going to sell two bottles of anything.
0: Yeah, because I mean, also, I mean, the when you have that, it almost sets up a competition between your customers too. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, but you know, it's a. I think the other hand is there are so many people more people making natural wine uh you know and and just to hear in california i see the explosion was happening and like up in vermont what's was happening and, and obviously in, in france and in, in europe uh you know now there's wine from california i want to drink <laughs> yeah I, yeah lot you lot know, f- drink. 15, 15 years ago i could have named on one hand even 10 years ago maybe i could have yeah. named on one hand the cal you know the wines from california i wanted to drink and now you know, I, I drink California probably half the t- wine half the time. Um, yeah. So, well, we're or, or close to it. But yeah, no, it's, it's definitely, there's so much more out there. So even if, you know, there are only like six bottles that a retailer or or wine bar has to sell, uh, you know, the job is to try to find all the other stuff. The new stuff is coming on where, you know, there is some more of it and there's, you know, it's constantly going to be there. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so we just have a couple of minutes left or like a minute left Uh, I just wanted to uh, can you just remind everyone of the name of your place and where it's located
1: yes Uh, Paradise Books and Bread Cafe bookstore natural wine shop and bar uh, in North Miami Florida
0: okay well that that's great I mean I wish I'm just looking at the time and I was like wow (laughs) it's just about three o'clock here Uh, it's been such a pleasure talking to you I wish I, I said I wish we had some more time but it sounds like you and your colleagues have created something really great, uh, you know, for yourselves and for your customers and, and a space that I think will probably also serve as a model for others who have a similar dream. So congratulations to you. Uh, I'm thinking about getting down to going to Florida in a few months. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Thank you so, so much for so, having me. This is awesome. I appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. It's been a pleasure and uh, enjoy the rest of your evening.
1: Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your day. Take care. Okay, sure. Thank you. Bye.
0: Bye.